0: episode i had the honor to talk with the great paul tremblay paul is a bram stoker award-winning author his works include the Cabin at the end of the world a head full of ghost survivor's song and the paul bears club these titles are only scratching the surface of paul's work so make sure to take a deep dive in all his hard madness um had a great time talking with paul um we also talked uh, a bit about music and stuff towards the end, uh, you know, some like uh, nerdy gear talk and stuff like that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, after you're done with this episode, make sure you check out my fellow horsemen of the podcast Apocalypse, Everything Went Black podcast, Into the Necrosphere, The Necromaniacs podcast, Break the Apocalypse, Iblis Manifestations and the soul knocks podcast um also something new that i haven't uh announced yet or whatever on the on the podcast i have a merch store now it's uh through uh teespring it's the Harwolf 666 teespring uh store and um I have like shot glasses uh pint glasses mugs t-shirts long sleeves um you got stuff for the winter there you got some like pullovers uh Regular sweatshirts, hoodies, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, check that out. It's uh, the Harwolf 666 Teespring store. And uh, grab yourself some merch. Um, lastly, um, don't forget to uh, give me a rating on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you uh, listen to your podcast That if you dig what I do. And uh, you can follow me on social media, Harwolf666 on uh, X. Also, Facebook, Instagram and all those places. So, yep, uh, I appreciate you listening, and um, hope you enjoy this episode as a good uh, kickoff to the October season, because it's now among us, and uh, yeah, the best time of the year. So, thanks so much. Well, Paul, I appreciate you being on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Hope you're having a good day so far.
1: Yeah, pretty chill. Uh, It's kind of been gray for a while here up in massachusetts a lot of rain it's, the sun might come out later but we'll see
0: yeah it's been the same down here i'm in uh south carolina and stuff and it's been raining like for the past week so okay. it's been really nasty yeah
1: you're near charlotte i'm not charlotte are you near charlestown or
0: yeah charleston? i'm actually in oh, i'm actually in sorry. charleston charleston's my uh home base so.
1: uh now charlestown's in massachusetts <laughs> that was massachusetts <laughs> slipping out yeah
0: <laughs> that's cool well it looks like we're sharing the same weather so that's cool <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah man um i've been a fan of yours for a while now like uh oh, yeah the last the first novel i read from you was the cabinet end of the world and um i thought that was killer then here comes the movie not that far after so it's pretty <laughs> cool
1: <laughs> all right thanks
0: yeah really dig that one so
1: no i appreciate it yeah no uh i don't know it's been sort of somewhat fun seeing the reactions to the movie and the book and vice versa
0: yeah i think um i think the movie did a pretty decent job of staying with the book in my opinion
1: yeah for you know for the first you know at least like two-thirds of it yeah
0: yeah what was your uh inspiration in writing uh the cabinet into the world
1: um so sorry just thinking back <laughs>
0: <laughs> no no worries uh,
1: it, it's funny, like the sort of the what if or the kernel sort of happened while I was on an airplane. Uh, I had just been to Los Angeles for like a, a literary festival, and while I was there, my editor had rejected a novel proposal. Um, my my agent was crushed, but I was actually kind of relieved because I don't know, I, I I wrote way too much for this novel proposal. I wrote like 30 pages, and I was kind of dreading, oh, mm-hmm. am I going to spend like a year writing this? I feel like I already wrote it. Um, so when she rejected, I was like, oh, okay, I'll I'll try to come up with something else. And it wasn't like, you know, we don't want to work with you. I'd been through that process with her previously where I'd sent her some ideas and we worked back and forth. So anyway, I happened to be on an airplane, uh, you know, trying to come up with some ideas and I had a little notebook out and, uh, you know, at one point when I stopped paying attention when I was doing, I I noticed I doodled like a little cabin in my notebook and I was like, oh, you know, you know, a cabin sort of made me instantly think of, a home invasion story. Um, and it, that's sort of like my least favorite kind of, of a horror movie or horror story. Probably mm-hmm. because it's just so realistically icky <laughs> right. that it could happen. Uh, but also like, I don't know there, I think there are so many versions of, of that story or, or the, you know, the movie or the books that sort are of really just leans into the violence for the sake of violence. You know, I'm not anti-violence, but I don't know. There's just something about, there's a line in those home invasion stories and they can be really blurry. Anyway, uh, I was oddly or weirdly excited by the challenge of, Oh, okay. I don't like home invasion stories, but how would I rate one? that I would want to sit through. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And that was sort of the start of it.
0: That's cool. And I, I feel with you on the home invasion stuff, man, I'm, that's not, that's not my least, that's my least favorite genre when it comes to horror movies and stuff. Cause it's too much of a, a thing of reality. You know, I, I, I don't like that. I'd rather, when we watch a horror movie, I want something to be more like fantasy, you know, some far-fetched mm-hmm. stuff, you know, but home invasion stuff is, hits really close.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely tend to prefer like supernatural or, or, you know, psychological type of horror stories or movies myself, but, but there's always exceptions to every rule, which is sort of the fun part of horror, I guess.
0: Well, I love the spin you put on The Cabinet End of the World. So that was a definitely a, a cool twist at the end there, you know, had me sitting at the edge of my seat <laughs> there reading and stuff like, is this, is this going to be real? Like, it, are they really saying this end of the world, you know, if you, right. if you don't kill your daughter and stuff? And it's like, this it keeps you, like, guessing the whole time, which is really cool. Well,
1: thanks. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I definitely wanted, it to, you know, the book to be ambiguous because I thought that really sort of reflected sort of what we're living through now. You know the idea that every time we open our phone or look at the tv or log on to our computer you know it feels like the world's ending or or, or world's ending somewhere so i really wanted to try to play on those sort of real life anxieties uh and, and ultimately not answer the question as to whether or not something super or whether or not the world was ending or not
0: yeah i like that i, I like when uh the ending is kind of left up to you to you know choose and stuff so uh, something that uh, Stephen King does, too, sometimes with his endings, like, uh, you know, doesn't like just nail it shut for you. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. going to leave it up to you. So I think that's cool.
1: Yeah, I've always appreciated, you know, every story is different. It depends on what the story needs. Right. But uh, I tend to appreciate, you know, books or, uh, or even movies where, you know, the author or the filmmaker. I don't know, trusts trust the, the reader to to make up you know, to fill in some of the blanks to, you know, to have to do a little bit of work themselves, to have to, you know, think about sort of the implications, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely dig that. That's, uh that's a bit, that's a definitely a cool thing. So um, what are some of your, uh, some of your favorite like authors, like from the past and like now, who are you reading now?
1: Uh, well, so I mean, I probably like most horror writers, I think, you know, Stephen King was definitely like one of my first, but, uh, but I, I came to reading sort of late, uh, I didn't really become a reader until my early twenties. Um, so my first exposure was always film. So even then Stephen King was there because I was watching all these eighties adaptations of Stephen King movies. Um, but one of the first short stories that really sort of lit the fire in me to become a reader was, uh, Joyce Carol Oates where are you going? Where have you been? Mm-hmm. I sort of randomly was in a, in you know, like a lit 101 class, like as a senior second semester senior in college, I, you know, I had to, re- I had to fulfill a requirement. Uh, and I remember thinking when I read that story, oh, like I didn't know people wrote things like this. And shortly after that, I'd read the stand and then sort of just fell into like a King hole, uh, a King hole, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sounds weird. Uh, Stephen King rabbit hole is probably better, you know, thanks to like dance macabre. Like I, you know, and the fact that he co-wrote a book with Peter Straub, like I, you know, I found Peter Straub and, you know, Shirley Jackson and Clive Barker and so many of these other writers. So I don't know, because I was, you know, I was a math major in college, uh, you know once i had the weird itch to try writing a story i always felt like i was playing catch up because you know i wasn't an english major and you know i hadn't read all the classics and you know that's both sort of a little bit of a source of pride but also <laughs> it helps keep me motivated because i'm always nervous I'm like oh, i have to I have to read more because you know i didn't read you know enough when i was younger kind of thing mm-hmm. um don't so, know, kurt vonnegut was really important to me at the beginning as well uh, when i first was messing around with stories but um i don't know people i'm reading now are really so many uh, you know, there's so many great horror writers working today, like John Langan and uh, Nathan Ballingrud and Nadia Bolkin and um, Mariana Enriquez and Laird Barron. There are just so many and Stephen Graham Jones and Victor Laval. So all, you know, all those people who have, you know, just about everybody I've named, I've gotten, I've had the privilege of getting to know personally uh, in some way too. So they, and not only do I consider them friends, but the, you know they're also inspirations. Um, you know, they make me want to be better because every time I read something by them, I'm blown away.
0: That's always cool when you're um, you have good friends and all that kind of inspire you, make you you know work harder and just like it, it helps with your creative process. You know, like uh, with the podcasting thing that I do, I have a group of a. Uh, really good friends. We're called the Horsemen of the Podcast Apocalypse. So, you know, we all we all have like a, a different like subject matter that we deal with. There's like a hard podcast besides mine. There's like two hard mm-hmm. podcasts, a metal podcast. You got a, a cult podcast, you know? Everything's nice. kind of touched on it. We all support each other and stuff like that and share everything. And I don't know, it was just a really good motivation to keep moving forward with things.
1: Yeah, for sure. Motivation, I mean it's just it's helpful to be able to share uh, you know, the experience that you're going through with other people.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And touching back on uh, what you said with Stephen King there, like when you go down the rabbit hole, Stephen King, I don't think you really ever come out of that rabbit hole, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, obviously, I mean, he's a one of a kind, and it's just been amazing how, like, to see, and even like, so I teach high school math, and it's been sort of fun to see, like, <laughs> almost like these epochs, like an anthropologist, you see sort of like one age of King and. And then you see sort of like another one begin. Like when I first started teaching in the mid 90s, mid to late 90s, I would ask, "Hey, what's the scariest movie you'd ever see?" It's like an extra credit question. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of kids were writing down uh, it, (laughs) but you know the Tim Curry it, the 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 TV movie it. Right. You know, and then there was, uh, I think around the time of his accident, you know, he was (laughs) he was just physically unable to publish like you know one or two books a year for a few years there. So it felt like yeah, you know, things had quieted a little bit. I mean, obviously, horror writers knew of Stephen King, but then it was like he exploded again within the pop culture with uh, you know with with the it reboot. So now it's sort of funny, like you know twenty five years later asking these kids what's their scariest movie, and they'll say it, but they mean the one that was just released in the theaters fairly recently. <laughs>
0: yeah that that's so awesome you know it's like now this generation is fucking scared of stephen king as we were back in the day you know with the original it mini series, which i still think is one of the scariest things to ever come on tv
1: yeah you know so i haven't watched it in so long uh i'm sure it would feel dated in a lot of ways but at the same time i mean i think just tim curry just nails <laughs> nails that performance he's so creepy uh there's a. it's not quite a it's not quite a max wax museum but there's a a horror museum in Salem, Massachusetts called count Orlock's count Orlock's nightmare gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he has essentially like mannequins or things that are made up to look like certain horror things. And he's got a Tim Curry it in there that just looks so lifelike. It's so unsettling. <laughs> um, I don't know how, how they made it to have like the eyes of that just look so realistic. But anyway, but yes, Tim Curry has it as Pennywise is very, is very disturbing.
0: Yeah, he's definitely iconic. I would put him up there with like, uh, a... Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers, you know, in that category of just like things that fucked you up as a kid.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I also still think the original it mini series is superior to the films, you know, but it is cool that the films are out there for the newer generation. So I do appreciate that.
1: Yeah, for sure. I I have to admit, I only saw the first movie. I didn't see the second one. Um, But, you know, I, I enjoyed the first movie or parts of it, I should say but it's weird to be like, Oh, like, no, if I read this, I've seen it made once, <laughs> you know, but which is fine. Like that movie wasn't necessarily made for me. It was certainly as most movies are these days made for, for younger audiences.
0: Um, another one of your books I wanted to touch on or whatever, which is I actually, I, this is probably one of my favorite books I've read in a, a long time. Even I'm a little late to reading this one, I just read this one this year is a head full of ghosts.
1: Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that.
0: I really dug like, uh, there's some serious like exorcist vibes in there, but once again, there's a twist, you know, and that, I'm not, I don't want to like give nothing away, but that twist towards the end is like, man, that kind of threw me on my head, you know?
1: <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, you know that, I mean, that book definitely sort of, you know, helped, excuse me, uh, that book definitely helped, I don't know, give me a sort of a second shot at a career because I'd had a couple of crime novels previous uh published in like 2009, 2010. That didn't go so well. So that book sort of saved me. So it's definitely a special book for me. But you know, thank you. I'm so glad it worked for you. Uh, And it was fun. Like once I knew I couldn't avoid talking about The Exorcist, (laughs) the -hmm. William Peter Blatty elephant in the room, it sort of opened me up to be able to talk about just about any horror thing that I could think of, you know, within the context of the book. Mm -hmm. And hopefully the fun part was again not a spoiler, but you know, things are left ambiguous as to whether there's something supernatural going on. And my hope was like mentioning and referencing and coming close to all these different previous stories and films would make it harder to figure out what was really going on
0: yeah and i still have my thoughts on like you know i'm not 100 percent sure what the hell happened at the end Hmm. there if it was all like you know supernatural or not you know and I, i think that's cool man i love the lingering effect of that
1: yeah thanks i know it's a big ask uh especially for a novel you know as opposed to a short story to to have like such a large thing be ambiguous. When I say a large thing, like whether or not s- someone was actually possessed by something, um, you know. So I certainly didn't want it to feel like a cheap sort of twist or, or a cheap trick by the author. Um, you know, I do take that part of it seriously. Like, hey, I'm asking you to read 300 pages with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's, something's going to be left ambiguous, uh, it has to be because there's no other way to tell that story. Or, you know, it has to be part of the theme. It has to be part of why, hopefully, that the story is effective. That because it's ambiguous. That makes it a little bit more hopefully frightening or or unsettling, or it lingers with you, but thank you, Brandon. I appreciate it
0: yeah, my pleasure and um also with this book, what were some of your inspirations?
1: Oh I mean I, th- I think we you know certainly covered the most of them, but I would say that the the book started actually with some nonfiction um, <clears throat> uh, I was actually like a hundred so this was like February of 2013 I was like a hundred pages into a different book and I was really stalled out on it wasn't going anywhere so I was really looking for excuses not to write so I was like oh I'm gonna do all this different sort of research and not quite sure how I (laughs) how I uh, justified it to myself but I was like oh I'm gonna get this really expensive beautiful book from Centipede Press about uh about the movie The Exorcist. Centipede Press has published a bunch of books about the center on movies it's in their it's in the in the night film I think is what they call their series but anyway so they had a a book of essays and interviews, you know, dealing with the exorcist. And when I read that, I was, I don't know, it kind of like it floored me a little bit in some ways because I've always thought of the exorcist as, Oh, here's this like super scary movie. Mm-hmm. I never really thought about it in terms of like in the context of its time when it came out and in context of, in some of the wider context of its, of its politics and stuff like that. Um, you know, I just thought that was all really interesting, fascinating stuff. And, you know, when I, after reading of those essays, I kind of sat back and I was like, huh, you know, Hollywood is you know, hasn't stopped pumping out, uh, you know, possession type stories. And usually they're, you know, at least it was in 2013, you know, PG-13 sort of rated stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like no one's really written an exorcist or a possession story in a long time. Like the ones like the only couple that I could think of that I had read uh, and both were excellent were um, Sarah Grand's Come Closer and uh, Daryl Gregory's Pandemonium. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, how would I write a possession novel or story? And like right off the bat, I was like, oh, I'm going to try to do it like from a, skepti- a very skeptical, secular point of view, uh, which was sort of the very beginning. But you know, once I got into the book, I was like, oh, no, this needs to be this needs to be evenly balanced. Like I really need to try to you know keep it even as to whether or not like uh, something supernatural is happening or something not supernatural is happening. So like to the point where like I divorced myself from thinking there's a true ending to this book. Uh, you know, cause I get asked all the time about the ending of the book. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, you know, I might have an opinion on it, but like, you know, it's really up to the reader.
0: That's cool. And also going back to the book, uh, that one scene at the, uh, dinner table, man, that one won't leave you for a while, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I kind of, uh, you know, even though, like I said, I would never dream of telling someone, Hey, you know, it's not supernatural because it could be, uh, like, but I, I did want like some of the, which I thought most disturbing scenes were going to be the ones that could be most easiest described as like realistic as realism and not necessarily supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know, uh, I guess not a huge spoiler, but also the book's been out for a long time, but like, you yeah. know, the conversation where we sort of Marjorie threatens to rip out Mary's tongue. I always sort of liked that scene and thought it was kind of disturbing, but also like realistic. And as you mentioned, sort of the family dinner scene toward the end. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, but even like sort of that sort of riffs a little bit on, uh, you know, a Shirley Jackson novel. So, uh, but so again, like, you know, who's telling the story? So I think my hope is all of that would just make everything murky, like treating the ambiguity instead of like, I never imagined I was withholding information from the reader. I always thought I was just giving the reader every possible piece of information that existed uh, or as much as I could in the 300 pages. So the idea was that, you know, we're, we don't know for sure what happened, but it's because we, we've had this glut of information. This, we don't know what's which, which piece is correct and which piece is incorrect. I don't know. Cause that's sort of, it's like living in the, in this part of the 21st century in the misinformation age, right? Oh yeah, definitely. We're just bombarded with all this stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a long ramble, but thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no worries, man. No worries. But yeah, I, I would love to see this one made into a film. I, I think it would be fucking great. Like I said, um, we still have a bunch of possession type movies here and there and stuff, but usually like rated PG 13 and usually this like the normal type stuff that mm-hmm. usually not great. But I think this kind of, I think this would be a good one for a movie.
1: Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's come close a couple of times. I mean, it's still, I mean, everything's on hold right now with the writer's strike, you know, yeah. the fact I got the force majeure letter from the, <laughs> from the financer, which is essentially saying like, the the clock on the option is going to be put on hold until the until the strike is over. So um yeah, so we'll see. Uh, there there seem to be some momentum going forward again, but who knows. It's very hard, as I've learned, to you know, it always seems to be a minor miracle when something actually makes it you know, all the way through.
0: Right. Well, I could totally see this one streaming on Shudder as like a Shudder original. Like I think it would fit perfectly on Shudder, so
1: <laughs> Yeah, we'll see.
0: Um, when it goes to the, um, like with the exorcist films or whatever, I know you said, um, exorcist, like one, like was, you know, did what it did back in the day with, you know, the extremes of, you know, the possession, and all that stuff. But, um, out of the, like, I guess I would call it the trilogy of the exorcist, the first three films. Do you have like a favorite of those?
1: Um, I mean, it's definitely the first, I mean, actually I have to admit, I've never seen the second. Um,
0: you're not missing much.
1: Yeah. That's what, that's what I've heard. You know, the third is actually a lot of fun and there are some definitely some great moments in it. Yeah. You know, George C. Scott. <laughs> he's like full George C. Scott in that movie. So how can you not enjoy that? Um Yeah, the first is still, you know, in my favorite. I think, you know, certainly the most effect uh effective. Um it's fine. My daughter who's eighteen just watched it for the first time. She's like, Ah, wow. that was all right. <laughs> I'm like, "All oh, right, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just uh, it's interesting, you know, because I mean, obviously it's still everything. I mean, anything that's been made going on 50 years now is certainly something, an artifact from time too. Um, I don't know. I, I think given all the horror movies and possession stuff that have come since The Exorcist, I can totally see if someone's like consumed and seen all these different horror movies, you know, from the last 20 plus years already and then go back and see The Exorcist. You're kind of like, oh, I've probably seen like most of this before, you know. Mm-hmm. but you know but you know seeing it when i saw it where still the shocks to me were pretty were new to me anyway i i found it i still think it is a pretty you know affecting movie
0: yeah most definitely it's still like the uh, scariest film my dad's ever seen he got to see when it first came out when he was a kid mm-hmm. and stuff and um i let him revisit uh the extras, whatever on dvd like maybe a few years ago or where, maybe five years ago Anyways, I a Lombardi DVD and stuff and he tells me, yeah. I was watching about halfway through and I um heard something drop in the other room, so I went in and turned that <laughs> off. I can't I can't finish it. <laughs> I was like, damn. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's cool to see it still has that effect after all these years, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I've also come to appreciate the third one a lot more, like you're saying. Like the third one's just fucking it's fun, you know, and it's i don't know it's really close to the first one with me when it comes to which one i prefer better you know like the third one's really grown over years, years. so
1: yeah yeah you know it's funny you know the two the pair of scissors no no pun intended the two scissor scenes to me are certainly stand out um yeah i mean sort of like a bonkers story though like the the or well, the dream sequence but he goes to like heaven that's just such a bizarre movie at times and i um, think
0: kareem abdul jabbar is up there too <laughs> Yeah, or I is it Patrick which, Ewing? It's Patrick Ewing. I think it's, it's Patrick Ewing, yeah. Yeah, Patrick I, Ewing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so bizarre. <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I guess I'm a backtrack a little bit or whatever, but um, what got you into writing? Like, how did you, what's your origin story on getting into writing and stuff?
1: Um, you know, it's sort of, like, weird to explain, or still sort of weird to me as to, like, how or why I started doing it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, I teach high school math, And I was a math major in college and went to grad school for math. Um, But while I was in grad school, I was doing a long distance relationship thing with my girlfriend, who's my wife. So that's where, you know, I have more free time to like read. That's where I fell in love with reading. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, after a couple of years of just reading all these King and, you know, other books, uh, you know, I definitely had this itch to try. I had this weird itch to try writing a story. Also, at the same time, like I was teaching myself how to play guitar uh i was and am a big music fan and honestly if i i say this all the time so if anyone's listening to this that's heard me speak before they're probably bored hearing it but um you know if i could go back in time and choose you know semi-successful musician over writer i probably still would but uh you know really for the mid 80s or mid 80s the midnight mid to late 90s you know writing and music were were sort of two things i was messing around with and both very much like hobbies know, I eventually figured out I was a better writer than musician. So I, don't know, I just stuck with it like very slow and steady, um, you know, writing my first stories in those late 80s and then trying to sell them in the early 2000s. Much different sort of publishing landscape. Um, I think the best thing I ever did, though, was like I refused to just give my stories away, refused to just like throw them out into the world. Mm-hmm. Partly just because like, <laughs> you know, someone with a math background, I didn't write stories like, man, this was a lot of hard work. I'm not giving this away for free. Mm-hmm, Someone's right. going to pay me something, you know, so I got a lot of rejections, you know, in some of my stories after being rejected by all the biggest markets, when I sold them, they got like 25 bucks or, you know, maybe as low as 10, but I always made sure I submitted to paying markets to get something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so that first part of my, I guess, learning how to write was, I, you know, I was learning from getting rejections. and. Once I got better, I would see the rejections sort of were like of a different kind and the editor would offer advice and stuff like that. You know, so I tried to take that to heart. You know, I was also reading some books on writing and things like that. Eventually, in the mid 2000s, I did join like a you know, just friends, a very friendly sort of writers group that we would meet once a month. You know, that was very helpful, too. But I was, you know, gave myself permission to be patient. It wasn't like I was trying to, you know, pay my mortgage bills with. With writing, yeah, th- so that was always good that I had the teaching job. I never felt like a financial stress component to the writing side of things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, so I not, not a super exciting writing story, but that's it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to uh, being a musician, uh, what do you play?
1: Oh, I play guitar. I, I could be someone's r- super mediocre
0: rhythm player. <laughs> I'm also a rhythm player, so. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah it's still fine i still mess around with it um you know my son who just graduated college is big into music which is you know you know he's into different kind of music than i am but uh he's a very talented producer and actually musician himself I feel like he writes his own stuff and puts it out mm-hmm. um but for my novel the pallbearers club which which came out last summer which is very sort of autobiographical to sort of lean into that meta-ness he and I put together like a four-song EP and threw it up on Bandcamp. <laughs>
0: oh, that's uh, badass.
1: Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it was an excuse to you know, to hang out with him <laughs> and watch him do his magic. Yeah, so if you go on Bandcamp and search the Paul Bears Club, you can see me doing my Bob Mould impersonation.
0: Oh, man, that's awesome, especially with you all two doing that together. I think that's really badass.
1: Yeah, and, I, and one of the songs my daughter joined in, uh, we did a cover of Neutral Milk Hotel's king of carrot flowers so emma did vocals Cole did all the producing you know i just laid down a guitar track and really Cole did the rest of the stuff and emma you know singing so yeah no it was a lot of fun the horror partridge family EP. <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: that's way cool man what uh genres of music do you dig
1: uh so my you know my favorite is certainly uh, i would say punk post-punk indie you know uh the Paul Bear's Club which I mentioned is is in a lot of ways a you know like A Head Full of Ghosts is a love letter to horror uh The Paul Bear's Club is sort of a love letter to like 80s and 90s punk and 90s alternative music mm-hmm. um you know I, you know I like most people I've you know I enjoy things from other genres you know I do dip in the metal a little bit and and stuff like that but I'd say you know Do is certainly you know if not my favorite one of my favorites
0: that's cool. Yeah, they're a great band. I also like a lot of post-punk. Uh, I like a lot of new wave 80s stuff. Um, and nowadays, you know, I listen to a shit ton of metal too. T- metal's like 80% everything I listen to, but I also like venture off and other things like synth wave and you know some of the like newer like uh almost new wave stuff that's out now. Um, there's some really killer bands that are kind of replicating that stuff from the '80s and they're doing it really yeah. well. So.
1: Yeah, I don't know what you would call uh, the band Swans these days, but very much a, a fan of sort of their later output, you know, starting with the Seer in 2012. Um, and they came out the new record, The Beggar, the other day, which is really wild.
0: Yeah, I heard it's a really good record. Um, one of my friends posted that uh, it definitely has that like unsettling Swans sound going on. They haven't lost that, you know, un like like scariness to it. You yeah,
1: know? no, for sure. Yeah, you know. You know long droning songs you know there's one song (laughs) i've listened to most of it but it's two hours so i you know i want to try to donate the correct time i still haven't listened to the 45 minute opus that's on there (laughs) uh yeah
0: yeah have um you ever listened to neurosis
1: uh no i'm aware of them but i haven't
0: okay it seems like a band that could be up your alley too especially since you like dig the swans and a lot of kind of the post-punk post-metal type things you might dig them for sure
1: Good to know.
0: Yeah, what's your uh, what's your guitar choice? I always got to know that. What, oh,
1: what? so uh, for a while I had like a cheap uh Fender Strat, but yeah, for it's probably like eight years old at this point. I bought an Ibanez, mm-hmm. um, so that's fun to play with. You know, I, I used to have a really beat up twelve string that was a lot of fun too. I bought a new like Yamaha twelve string like five years ago, and I kind of regret. <laughs> I miss the old one. Oh, one just had like a lot of character, like the bridge was sort of like coming up. That was sort of half the fear was like <laughs> the bridge was just going to fly off and hit me <laughs> in the head. Um, yeah. So, I mean, nothing, nothing too super fancy. Um, but, you know, it is fun just to, to sometimes plug in and be loud
0: yeah definitely that, that's like one of the best feelings uh do you play with it like a wall of amps or what kind of amp guy are you like Oh, uh, like, yeah
1: i just have like one small amp <laughs> gotcha uh yeah i just bought i guess that's the newest thing i bought besides a pedal or two was a I have an orange amp but you nice. know it's like you know one of those like small rehearsal sort of amps
0: yeah those are great amps um i have two of them for this yeah. like messing around at the house uh One's a thirty watt, which I can barely turn that shit up because I live in a townhouse, so you know the walls aren't that thick, and that thing sounds great. Yeah, (laughs) nice. Yeah, big fan of those and stuff. Um, uh, if you had to like make a, a, I guess a top five list of some of your favorite horror movies, what would those be?
1: Oh, that's funny. That just came up on Twitter. I mean, so (laughs) I would, I'd probably you know try to break it up into sort of like. Ever is because it's kind of hard to put like movies that I've seen so many times, you know, since a teenager or maybe even younger up against like newer films. But I don't know, in terms of number of times seen and the uh, mm-hmm. Nightmares Given, uh, Jaws, The Thing, um, American Werewolf in London is a favorite. Um, more recently though, I would say a movie called Lake Mungo I've definitely been obsessed with. It's a good one, yeah. Uh, my novel After Head Full of Ghosts is definitely. Lake Mungo inspired slash inflected, maybe a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, and then I'm trying to get you know, over the last 10 years. I mean, this is sort of like people might argue that it's not a horror movie, but you know, it strikes me as a horror movie, but I really love the movie. Um,
0: take shelter. Oh, that is definitely a horror movie, man. That, yeah. And it deals with some cosmic shit, you know? So it's definitely hard yeah. to me. Yeah.
1: No, Love that movie. um, I don't know, but there's so many like a movie, 99 movie Ra- ravenous is a lot of fun. I used to write to its soundtrack all the time. So I don't know. I mean, the top three is probably set in stone. But after that, like, you know, things definitely could, would change. Alien's going to be up there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's an easy, obvious. How can alien not be <laughs> right <laughs> <In the> top <laughs> five or top 10? But yeah.
0: Yeah, right now it's definitely a uh, Jaws season, you know. It's like this is a perfect time to watch Jaws, especially the start of summer and everything like that. Oh so.
1: yeah, that's right. Now my annual watch of Jaws is definitely coming up soon.
0: Oh, no. Me and my dad would do that all the time because we used to fish together and stuff. Like we would go shark fishing. So every uh start of the summertime before we do all that, we'd watch Jaws, you know, that. And that's just the perfect movie to watch when you are out there fishing for sharks, right?
1: <laughs> nice. Well, yeah. I'll give you a music uh a Jaws music <laughs> recommendation. Uh, there's a band called Squalus. and Squalus. They, yeah. And they had a, a record in 2017 called the great fish. And it's mm-hmm. essentially like this <laughs> uh, doom metal opera about Jaws, like the, the songs follow along. Um, nice. It's only like a couple of bass players and a drummer, but you know, really heavy, you know, the lyrics deal with the movie. It's, it's so much fun to listen to. Um, I would definitely recommend that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I think the name kind of rings a bell with me. I've never listened to anything from them. But when you said yeah. Doom Metal and Jaws, I mean, that right there already kind of hit me. So, nice. <laughs> yeah, um, um, there's a band. Um, oh, yeah. This, I, was about, I almost forgot the band's name. There's a band called Ahab. And they're like <laughs> a really heavy Doom band. And they did like a whole like fucking album about like uh like whales and stuff, man. And it's like the Great Deep and, you know, Cthulhu type stuff. And it's nice. so fucking heavy. So I don't know if you ever heard of them before.
1: I haven't. No, and I think Squalus is like pieces from another band, uh maybe giant squid, which I don't know a lot of, but I think that might be where some of the the dudes from Squalus came from or something. But anyway. Well then there's of course Mastodon's uh the, you know Moby Dick record.
0: Yeah, that was great. Mastodon. Now to me that was my favorite era of Mastodon. I kinda mm-hmm. lost track of Mastodon when it went more into kind of the uh poppier sound, you know, in the later records. Yeah. Yeah, definitely dig those. Um, what are some things you're watching now that you're really digging on?
1: Oh, it's, yeah, I feel bad because people, I, I just, because I was at a convention, a lot of people are asking, you know, or you just ask, hey, what you've been watching lately? And mm-hmm. I just have to admit that <laughs> the spring has been like all sports between the Bruins and the Celtics. Uh, you know, I'm a big sports fan, so I just watched a lot of basketball, some hockey and a lot of hoops. Mm-hmm. Um for me, that, that like, that's my escape. You know, people sometimes talk about reading as their escape or movies. You know, I, I love reading in movies, but, you know, that's, like, so close to what sort of I do, you know, what I am. So, for me, like, uh, is, you know, watching sports is when I get to shut my brain off. So, all that said, I haven't watched a ton of stuff in the last, like, few months other than, like, Ted Lasso. <laughs> you know, it's my, you know, it's, like, the one show my wife and my daughter and I all watch and enjoy together.
0: I'm just getting into Ted last, so I, I think I'm still in the first season, but I had a few friends yeah. recommend that to me. It's a damn good show.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of fun, you know, the first season especially. The second one is weak in the first half, but, you know, it gets better in the second half. But, I don't know, I I, I could just watch Roy Kent swearing all day, so <laughs> that's sort of my favorite part.
0: He yeah, has like a big uh, Ned Flanders type feel to me. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, the Simpsons, you know, sure, like yeah. he would make a great live-action Ned Flanders. <laughs> right. Uh, that's cool yeah i um I, I watch a ton of stuff but you know that's uh, that's what i like to do that's my escape from everything else is just watching movies and reading and stuff and right now i'm going back over the old dracula novel i'm doing an audiobook version of that and that's really fucking cool nice yeah so uh what things are you working on now that um uh, you can talk about uh, yeah
1: so in a few weeks on uh, july 11th um i short story collection, the beast you are comes out. Um, so it's 15 stories, you know, and they, some of them range from like really small flash pieces to, uh, the end of the book is this actually fairly long 150 page novella. Uh, that's sort of my love letter to uh, watership down and animal farm. Cause it's an anthropomorphic animal novella, mm-hmm. uh, that also features a giant monster and a cat Thanks. that may, that might be a slasher. as <laughs> oh, all cats a... are right. So exactly. I know it was a lot of fun to write. Uh, hopefully, hopefully people dig it. Yeah. So that's, that's coming out in a few weeks. Um, I'm waiting on edits from my editor right now, uh, for a novel that hopefully will be out next summer, you know, and for the moment that's being called horror movie, a novel. Uh, I always say for the moment, just like knock on wood, you know, hopefully they let me keep that title. Cause that's what I want it to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah otherwise uh, can't really talk about it too much but I, I've got like an Amazon short story coming out in late September which hopefully is a lot of fun um, and I'm actually who knows if it's any good but I'm just somewhat randomly trying to write a, a middle grade novel like a short middle the grade novel I just hadn't have the idea um, mm-hmm. yeah so it sounds like a lot of stuff <laughs>
0: <laughs> definitely that's cool and you definitely got me at uh cat slasher being that i am a cat owner we have two cats so and they're definitely in that category
1: which one one would be the slasher and what's its name um
0: that that would be our black cat our black cat lily she's definitely the slasher out the family because she's always got some evil shit going on you know and she's always plotting (laughs) (laughs) we call her a kitty kruger sometimes because she takes her nails and it's like scratches on the doors and everything that's funny yeah
1: yeah, uh, I'm definitely more of a dog person. I mean, I like cats. I just never, as an adult, haven't had any cats. I've had two dogs, mm-hmm. uh, so of course the dog's the hero. But I think more people like, are gonna like the, I think more people are gonna like the cat character.
0: <laughs> I could definitely see that though. The dog being the hero, or like the, I guess the innocent one out the two. You know, I, I can right. totally see that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, yeah, cats and dogs. I tell you, yeah. and we need more cat horror. We need more animal horror, and, and also more creature creature horn you know i'm a, a big fan of that because of, like lovecraft and everything so yeah
1: no i've that's, always that's like cool. wanted to and i haven't done it yet although i kind of feel like i it's close enough with this this collection not all the stories feature monsters or creatures but you know i would say at least like a third of them feature giant monsters um you know and then maybe a handful feature you know people acting as monstrous so i mean that's sort of the loose theme throughout the collection you know to go along with the title of the beast you are uh, but yeah, no, I mean, giant monsters were my first love with Godzilla. So I've always wanted to write like a giant monster novel. Um, but I don't think I have to, cause I've written so many short stories with them, including the Amazon one's going to have a, a giant monster in it too. Um, yeah. So the anthropomorphic animal novella is as close as I get to the giant monster novel for now, I guess.
0: Excellent. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And, uh, I get to catch up on uh, the rest of your work as well. I'm just I'm making my way through, you know, because so much Stephen King has taken so much of my time over oh, the slowly? years. Like, yeah, I'm telling you, like, and you go down a rabbit hole? Like you said, and like he just came out with Fairy Tale, which was excellent. And yep. that, that was a big book that took forever. So <laughs> I'm slowly working my way out of that. The King spot there, you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> not a pla- not a bad place to be.
0: No, not at all. Well, uh Paul, I appreciate you being on my podcast. This was a great talk and um I'm really looking forward to your new stuff.
1: Well thank you, Brandon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, and nice uh nice chatting.
0: Yes, you um have a good weekend and uh talk to you later.
1: Thanks, you too. Bye.
0: Bye bye.